0: Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Ottawa, Canada. Welcome to the show, Karina Guzman.
1: Hello. Hi, Victor. Thank you for having me.
0: Great to have you here. Now, Karina, we've known each other for a number of years, and you are really developing as an expert in land development. What I thought we would talk about today is one of your projects that's really quite fascinating that I think a lot of our listeners will get a lot out of hearing the story. But maybe before we dive into those details, give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey.
1: Sure. Uh, Yes, thank you for that. Um, I have been in uh, the real estate world for some time now, since 2009. I slowly developed a really big passion for urban planning and brought me into that transit oriented developments. That's how I started as a land developer here in Ottawa with a new transit line being put in. And I really focused on those areas because the city was looking for intensification around transit. So most people did know me for that transit oriented developments. And then since then we've really grown to add a variety of things, everything from, um, severances to just doing zoning amendments. So up zoning and sell, that's kind of been one of my favorite strategies in the land development space. We've gone and done uh, some flipping the paper strategy, which uh, some people may have heard of. It's when you go and get the approvals in place, and then you flip that over to a builder who would want to sell that out. And now we're also doing some subdivisions. So one of my goals was to scale the business into subdivisions. And we have closed on one recently last year that we're working towards. And the goal is really to move into community building subdivisions and creating a larger master plan than just infill developments. Although we we still do some infill development, of course, but subdivisions has now become uh, a little bit more closer to my passion.
0: I love that. Now, this one project in particular that we're going to talk about today is almost sistered up against a ski resort area that's been developed about an hour outside Ottawa. And it's a fairly substantial amount of acreage with almost a blank slate. But of course, the topography in that area doesn't mean you can put anything anywhere. Let's talk a little bit about the process you went through to first even identify that this was a candidate for development.
1: Sure. Yes. So, this property that you're talking about, we we had just bought it last year, late last year, and it is in Calabogie, Ontario, which is just an hour away from Ottawa. So, location wise, you know, when we are looking at acquiring acreage, it's really nice where it's fairly close proximity to the major urban hub, which is Ottawa. I've known Calabogie for many years, so. When I saw this property, it's a 93-acre property, I immediately jumped on it. Because of what you said, it is a very touristy area. It's right next to the ski hill. We're very close proximity to the motorsports as well. So that's a lot of people know Calabogie for racing. There are beautiful cars there. And it's just kind of like that place where people want to go and hang out. So when I saw this property I immediately jumped on it. I've loved the area and we've really changed our design what we initially said because of what you said is that the land has uh specific limitations and we've had to work around what initially we thought would be the optimal design not necessarily so when you look at what the limitations of the land are and how we're going to devise the road network and how do we place the, the homes and on the land and all that kind of stuff? So as much uh, due diligence as we've done from the initial acquisition point, there's definitely that design component that happens immediately right after and going in to create that that beautiful look of the subdivision and also having that balance right between how much of the land do we want to use? versus how much of the land do we want to use as amenities and creating something beautiful that people would like to live there that people would enjoy the land that we don't have to change the land we want to work with the land so there's there's that aspect of it as well that has really been a big factor in our design component
0: one of the things i almost have an emotional reaction to um, and that maybe it's just me but I hate spending money on moving dirt. I just really do. Every time you get a bulldozer on site, get a big excavator on site, and the meter's running, it just grinds against every fiber in my body. And it's exactly like you said, that you want to work with the land as opposed to trying to force something that doesn't actually fit with the land. Because if there's one thing that can balloon your costs in any development project, it's moving dirt. You can really spend an extraordinary amount of money for something that, frankly, from the end user's perspective, is not a value-added piece. You can spend more money moving dirt than you can in construction. And so really designing something, designing a community that will fit with what is already there, not just fit, but actually enhance what's there, is I think where the art form lies. You want to talk a little bit about that, what some of that learning process has been?
1: Yeah, it's been such a huge learning process, Victor, because as an investor, you're always thinking about your bottom line, right? But then also, I really passionately love what I do. And when I decided, you know, I want to do a community and not just a community that looks the same as every other cookie cutter subdivision, I want it to have a meaning to people's lives or somehow in some way, how can we create an experience Because I think more often than not, like you said, it's if it doesn't add value to people, then why would they come and live there, right? There has to be a purpose. I mean, COVID did accelerate a little bit of this. We saw a lot of people wanting to get a second home or move into a cottage, you know, with uh, working from home situations. Now people have more mobility than ever before. So that's really helped a lot of those outside markets. But when you look at it long-term, it's more about not the fad, but rather what are people wanting more in their lives? And I think more and more now, people want experience. They want something where they can grow in, maybe even multi-generationally, right, as the population is growing. So when I think about my development, and I'm really passionate about it, I'm really constantly thinking, what can I change here? working with the land and making it beautiful, but add certain aspects and amenities to it that will give almost an incentive and will create the stickiness of that subdivision, right? Why will people move here, but also stay here, which is what we want, right? Because when you do those sort of things and people will stay there and more people will move in, now you can create a situation where businesses can move in, Other enterprises can grow there as well. So now we're growing the community. It's not a fad anymore. And the real, when we started looking to the design, we realized the real part of that stickiness is adding elements to our subdivision that's going to create value. So one of those things are, for example, mobility within the subdivision. How do we add trails? We have beautiful uh, wetland already that exists on the land. Initially, I thought, oh gosh, this wetland is going to impede how many lots we're going to get. But now we're looking at that design, we're looking at, oh, actually this can add a beautiful component to our subdivision and how can we use that to add uh, more beauty to the land? And so I I like what you said is removing less dirt, which has really become almost top of mind in our design. And so we're looking at uh, creating community garden. A community center as well, mobility paths, even little things like uh, uh, warming hubs, you know, so having these little, almost like a mini hut within these trails that can have uh, warmth in it so that when people are using the trails, they can jump into one of these huts and then stay warm in between there or have a little coffee with a neighbor, something like that, that was just gonna add a little bit more uh, beauty to the land and have people really enjoy the land. And that's, I think, a big difference between a typical subdivision than creating actually intentionally.
0: Now, these are larger estate lots. You're not connected to municipal services. So water in, is going to be coming from wells, drilled wells, and septic is going to be local to each property. That too adds constraints to positioning of houses on the land, making sure that the topography can support a septic bed, and all of those sorts of things that you have to think about. You can't just say, all right, my, my lot's going to be 8,000 square feet or 20,000 square feet. You actually have to plan out all of these elements as for each individual lot, not just where the road's going to go.
1: Yes, definitely. And uh, it is definitely one of those areas where it's there are no existing services to the land. So we do have to provide them as private services, like you said. And you're right, you have to have a minimum size requirement, work with the topography of the land to allow for these private services to work within it. Like, for example, one of the the items that we realized during the design process is with this wetland, how can we position the lots to still meet the size requirements, which in this area are one acre lots, while still using part of that wetland, not not as buildable space? but it can still be used as part of that one acre. So for the end user, the client who will eventually build their home there, it will look something like their house would be fronting on the road and their backyard will have a certain part of it as the wetland. Although they cannot build on it, they can still use that as part of their backyard. So these are certain things that we're looking at in a way to balance it out maximizing the land, but still not modifying it in any way, shape, or form, and still meeting the requirements of the municipality.
0: One of the things that I've observed is that access to critical services, specifically internet, has been a big barrier to people developing in more rural areas because there just isn't the infrastructure out there. If you don't have electricity, you don't have water, you don't have sewer, well, for sure, you're not going to have optical fiber. But I think Starlink has changed that and opened things up and made it possible to get decent quality internet service at an affordable price almost anywhere on the planet. And I think that's fundamentally changed real estate. Are you seeing it the same way?
1: Uh, Yes, definitely. I mean, they're out here in Calabogie. There are a couple, but you said like uh, the larger communications companies, they're not out there. They're not, they don't exist or they haven't made their way out there. So there are these smaller you know, little niche companies that are there. We're lucky in the sense that in Calabogie, there is the uh, Kalabogi wireless company that's out there. And we have a clear lineage passageway where we can be, we would be able to bring in their services. So that is something that we're looking at and bringing the fiber in as part of the development. That was part of our due diligence though, Victor, because you're right. I mean, the, the biggest limitations for anybody who would ever want to live in a subdivision is internet. Otherwise, you can't work there. You can't do anything, right? We were lucky in that. And I would suggest that most people at least have a thought or make a phone call when you're doing your due diligence, when you're looking out in rural country, because if that's something that you're not going to be able to provide, it'll be difficult to move out, to move people out there. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Karina, love what you're doing and love watching your journey on this. If folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way?
1: Yes, uh, they can connect with me through LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook. Just Google my name and you'll find me directly there and message me.
0: Fantastic. Love the conversation. And for the listeners at home, definitely connect with Karina. The links will be in the show notes so you can connect with her, Karina Guzman. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.